Hey, what's going on? You're back with another episode of On the Mic with Mike. I am your host for this podcast, Instructor Mike. You can find me on Facebook at Mike Brown. There's many Mike Browns on there. So look for the picture of the black firearms instructor with the uh, red and yellow firearms instructor. That's my page. You can follow me. You can also follow me at Instructor Mike. Uh, on Facebook, or you can follow my YouTube channel, Instructor Mike, as well, or you can go to Security Training Concepts. Uh, we're also on Facebook, the business page as well, or the No Excuses Foundation. You can follow me in various outlets, okay? So let's talk today about compliance and why it is needed for justice, okay? And we're talking about compliance with authority figures, definitely compliance with law enforcement. Let me preface what I'm about to state or say to say this. I'm a former law enforcement officer, former criminal justice professor, master's degree, you know, all that experience stuff, stuff like that. And I definitely understand compliance. That having been said, I am not ignorant to the fact that of the brave men and women in law enforcement that do an honorable job and do the honorable thing, you know, that there is a percentage of law enforcement officers who should not be the police, okay? Not every police officer is good. Not every person, not every citizen is a good person, okay? Uh, And not every citizen is bad and not every police officer is bad. That being the case, I am not one of the ones that heavily generalize a lot of stuff or I try not to be that way, okay? That having been said, I want you to understand why compliance is necessary for justice. If the situation is the case that the arrest is a bad arrest. That having been said, I have also been the victim of overzealous prosecution and wrongful arrest. And unlike some people who try to use that label to gain some kind of empathy or sympathy for their cause when the facts and circumstances in a given case can prove that they did commit the crime, in my case, I was able to prove with overwhelming demonstrative or demonstrative evidence Uh, that was demonstrative of my claims uh, of innocence and I was subsequently found not guilty. Nothing duty related, just personal situations. That having been said, let's talk about why compliance is necessary for justice. And I'm gonna bring up the case of Harith Augustus in Chicago. Uh, This happened on July 14, 2018 in the South Shore neighborhood of Chicago. Um, Superintendent Eddie, Eddie Johnson of the Chicago Police Department held a press conference Uh, where this was subsequent to the shooting or in the wake of the shooting, where he stated that they received, the Chicago Police Department received complaints from business owners, residents, and politicians about uh, heavy gang activity in the area. And so this all of a sudden spawned foot patrols, okay? And that on this date and time in question or date in question, officers are on foot patrol and observed that they saw on Mr. Augustus, a black male who is a barber. He is informally known as Snoop in the area. He's a barber at the barbershop in the area. Uh, this is around the 71st and Jeffrey or 71st and Chappelle area in the South Shore neighborhood in the third Chicago police uh, district. And uh, the officers who were on foot patrol observed uh, what they thought was to be a bulge around his waist. And they thought that it was a holster and a gun protruding from underneath his t-shirt and that is what brought them to stop him and they stopped him and subsequently uh questioned him okay now i want you to understand that uh first of all let's talk about the fourth amendment to the united states constitution any stop 
by law enforcement must meet the requirements of the Fourth Amendment to the United States Constitution. And it states verbatim, the right of a people to be secured in their persons, houses, papers, effects, and things shall not be violated and no warrant shall issue, but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation, particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. And that's verbatim from the Fourth Amendment to the United States Constitution. Now, uh, subsequent to that, they began to talk to him and he did reach for his wallet and began to pull out uh, in the video. And there is video of this that was released by the Chicago Police Department. He pulled out what was believed to be, based upon the imagery of this card, a firearm owner's identification card. And in the state of Illinois, a firearm owner's identification card or the FOID card, as it's uh, informally known or abbreviated, is a card that does not allow you to possess on or about your person in the public a firearm. However, it does allow you to own purchase and possess firearms and ammunition and possess them and wear them inside of your home, a fixed place of business, or any fixed thing that you own or a place where you are authorized by that person that is not in the public way to wear that firearm or, or possess that honor about your person. Okay. That having been said, uh, Chicago police began to encircle him where apparently according to the video, Harith uh, Augustus or Snoop showed signs of being nervous where he then tried to take off running a Chicago police officer grabbed his shirt which in the scuffle caused his waistline and chest area lower abdomen area to be revealed where you see him wearing a holster a holstered gun and two magazines firearm magazines around his waist okay he ran into the streets and uh, ran into a police car at the back end of a police car. He wasn't struck by it, but he ran into it, which caused him to spin around where he made a furtive movement towards his firearm, at which point in time the police officer drew his firearm and then shot Mr. Augustus, uh, where he then subsequently died from his gunshot wounds. Okay, There was a large protest in the area. And uh, since then, the protest has died down and we have heard nothing about the disposition of any kind of use of force investigation. And of course, unless there's a public call for it, you will not hear about the disposition of a use of force investigation. A use of force investigation is a investigation that takes place by a police department, normally internal affairs, but in the Chicago Police Department, it's through the, uh, the old Independent Police Review Authority, which is now known as the Citizens Office for police or of police accountability. Same agency, different name change, different administrators, stuff like that. So they are charged uh, with the duty to investigate police shootings. We have not heard of the uh, results of that. It is more likely than not, and let me preface what I'm about to say by saying this. When the police are right, they are right. I go on Facebook, make a podcast, things like that, and I talk about why they are right in the use of force as it relates to a given incident, and I try to back my uh, assumption or my uh, opinion uh, from an expert point of view using stats, facts, figures, case law, statutory law, things like that. Uh, I, I don't really look for a person's agreement because the law doesn't require that you agree with it. It just requires that you understand it, obey it, and if it wants to be changed, you have to have logical reasoning and go through the process to actually change that law if it's able to even be changed, okay? That having been said, 
when we look at the standards of justifications for stops, okay, and for those of you all who are just joining us, we are talking about the uh, the compliance, compliance with law enforcement and why it's necessary for justice. Just go along with me. You'll understand it at the end, okay? So there are standards of justifications for stops by police, okay? You got casual encounters, uh, you're free to uh, leave or terminate that encounter. A casual encounter is like, you know, a police officer speaking to you saying, hey, how are you? You know, is everything okay? You can either respond or not, okay? Uh, so long as you don't do anything that suggests that you're a deadly threat, you know, you don't fit a description, stuff like that. Typically with a casual encounter, you are free to disengage with that police officer. Now, the next one is reasonable suspicion, okay? Uh, reasonable suspicion. And then there's probable cause. So we'll go through the three standards of justifications for uh, stops. Casual encounters, reasonable suspicion, and probable cause. Okay. Now, with regard to reasonable suspicion, the case law that establishes this principle, and let me explain to you what case law is. Case law is, lo case law, is law that is established at the level of judiciary. We've got the three branches of government, the executive, the legislative, and the judicial, okay? Uh, an example of the judicial with regard to this is uh, the appellate courts, the state Supreme Courts, and the United States Supreme Court, which is the highest court in the United States of America. When these three courts, okay, you got your state uh, appellate courts and your federal appellate courts, and you've got your state Supreme Courts, and then your United States Supreme Court, when these bodies of the judiciary establish a holding, which is a finding, a holding, their decision by majority opinion of the justices that are on this court, that is the law of a given area, or in this case, the law of the land as it relates to the case that I'm about to mention to you. Terry versus Ohio, 392 US 1. 1968. It's codified as 392 U.S. 1, 1968. It was a 1968 United States Supreme Court case uh, that talked about reasonable suspicion and that brief detention based upon reasonable and articulable suspicion is authorized by law enforcement and where a protective pat down of that person who is believed to be a suspect is authorized. And in that case, you had where a man was casing or walking to and from a given block and was observed by a detective who knew the area, a police officer who knew the area and knew that this person's behavior was an anomaly, okay? And so to investigate the, the matter, because police officers are charged by law with the duty to prevent crime before it happens, stop it during its occurrence, and then uh, investigate its occurrence to determine who did it and bring that person to the legal authorities for a subsequent prosecution. And given that they are given the legal mandate to do that, the legislature, the given legislature at the state and federal levels must provide in certain respects a little bit of leeway for law enforcement officers to take certain actions based upon uh, educated guesses, which is all probable cause is. But in this case, it was reasonable suspicion, facts and circumstances known to the officer in the Terry versus Ohio case that gave him or her reason to believe that crime is about to occur or has taken place. And so subsequent to that, after the officer stopped the man, he was allowed uh, or, or that case 
brought about the protective pat down uh, case where officers are allowed to pat a person down because of the possibility that a gun could likely be used in the commission of a crime. In this instance, it was believed to be a bank robbery. The officer pat the man down and found a gun. He was taken to court and was subsequently convicted of the possession of that firearm. The matter was appealed all the way to the United States Supreme Court and thus was the birth of the protective pat down as authorized by Terry versus Ohio 392 US 1. Okay. Now, in looking at this given situation with Harith Augustus, okay, we are right now, Illinois is a concealed carry state and has been one since July 9th of 2013. July 9th of 2013, where the Illinois Concealed Carry Act, codified as 430, U, uh, 430 Illinois Compiled Statutes Act 66, it was enacted uh, because of the lawsuits brought on by the NRA, things like that. Illinois was the last state in the union to have concealed carry enacted by law. We are a shell issue state. So long as you meet the requirements uh, of the law, we are a shell issue state. Okay. And so because of that, given that we are in a concealed carry state and given that bulges and printing is also authorized by law so long as the firearm is partially concealed, okay, you are likely to see a lot of bulges on law-abiding citizens as well as criminals. So, if you look at the uh, case of Haritha Augustus and what was stated by Superintendent Eddie Johnson, that it was that the patrol officers observed what they thought to be a gun and a holster uh, protruding from underneath the t-shirt being a bulge, I ask you this. In a concealed carry state, is a bulge enough uh, reasonable suspicion under Terry that crime has been or is about to be committed if that same bulge could also be on a law-abiding citizen. What other information did these police officers have or would these police officers have to have to be able to state that this person is about to commit a crime or has committed a crime if a bulge is legal on a law-abiding citizen as well as a bulge being illegal on a criminal? What do you have to separate the two? You got to have something else besides just a bulge because that's like a person wearing a suit and tie. Well, the suit and tie is often associated with business attire, but it could also be worn by a known criminal. So what, if anything, beside the suit and tie will lead you to believe that this person is a known criminal unless you knew him or her? And what will lead you to believe that this person is about to commit a crime or has committed a crime? You would need more information. Now, that having been said, we can quote a plethora of other kinds of uh, case law, okay? Uh, let's go with the Firearm Concealed Carry Act, Chapter 430, Illinois Compiled Statutes, Act 66. Specifically, Section 5 defines a concealed firearm as a loaded or unloaded handgun carried on or about a person completely or mostly concealed from view of the public or honor about a person within a vehicle, okay? And that is Illinois law. So if it is the case that it was partially concealed, that's allowed by law. So what information do you have that leads you to believe that this individual, Haritha Augustus, aka Snoop, 
was about to commit a crime, has committed a crime, whatever the case may be, to meet the requirements of Terry versus Ohio, okay? Now, there's another case, United States versus Aquino. It's an Eighth uh, Circuit Court case. Uh, it talks about contact by police on a bus. The police asked for consent to search the defendant's person. The defendant refused. The police officer asked the defendant to pull the clothes tightly on the body. The defendant complies. The police officer saw the bulge under the pants leg. The defendant was handcuffed. The police officer pulls the pants leg and sees the meth taped to the leg. And the holding of the case was the bulge in and of itself is not enough probable cause to conduct a search beyond Terry versus Ohio. Okay? The pat down of the evidence was excluded. And that case, I believe he was not, he was, uh, the conviction was overturned, uh, reversed and remanded back to the lower courts for findings or for actions consistent with that holding. Okay? So, here is, I believe, another case. Florida versus VL, JL, Florida versus JL. Uh, and this is the United States Supreme Court case, 529 U.S. 266, 2000, okay? And that it is an anonymous tip without corroboration of persons carrying a concealed weapon is not enough justification for a, a Terry stop pursuant to Terry versus Ohio. And let's just say, I'm using that case because let's just say it was an anonymous tip. Hey, I believe Harith is carrying a gun. Well, Florida versus JL uh, already talks about anonymous tips where you don't have knowledge to believe or know or there's no uh, no uh, record with this anonymous tip or this informant that this person's uh, information is normally said to be true because of you conducting law enforcement operations. And there's times where I have even dealt with confidential informants. I can testify that this information is credible because their, their information is credible because I've used them in the past before. They've given me tips and those tips have led to factual uh, information that I've been able to find out, which led to an arrest. Okay. And so, uh, you've got also us versus Mendenhall, United States Supreme court case codified as 446 us 544 1980. Okay. The court provides examples of when a person is seized, threatening a presence of the police officers, displaying of weapons by officers, some physical touching of the person of the citizen, uh, uh, use of language or tone compelling compliance with the police officer's request, okay? Uh, and then we have, lastly, that the, the United States Supreme Court case of Johnson versus United uh, States, and that is codified as 333 U.S. 10, and that is a 1948 Supreme Court case. And I'm going to read to you the specific uh, finding or the holding within that case that is extremely relevant to why these cases need to be brought before the United States Supreme Court. And uh, we'll talk about that. So in Johnson versus United States, 333 U.S. 10, 1948, the court held, and I quote, the point of the Fourth Amendment, which is often not grasped by overzealous or by zealous officers is not that it denies law enforcement the support of the usual inferences which reasonable men draw from evidence 
Its protection consists in requiring that those inferences be drawn by a neutral and detached magistrate, otherwise a judge, instead of being judged by the officer engaged in the often competitive enterprise of fettering out crime. Sometimes you have officers that are very zealous and they want to get the drugs off the street. They want to get the guns off the street. But in that competitive uh, business of fettering out crime, it has to go before a judge so that it can be analyzed by someone not closely connected to the case that will help a person or help the court in the interest of justice understand whether or not this stop was justified by a law enforcement officer or whether there was a breach of constitutional violations. Introducing all that information to state this, the Harith Augustus case, while I do in part agree with the use of force uh, used by the police officer at the end, because with regard to that specific occurrence, if you reach for a gun, an officer is going to defend himself, okay, or herself. But there is another doctrine called fruit of the poisonous tree. Anytime a person is shot and killed by police officers, that is considered to be a seizure under the Fourth Amendment to the United States Constitution in that a government agent has seized the life of a person and it must meet the requirements of the Fourth Amendment in that the seizure must be held to the Fourth Amendment to see if the government interest versus that person's personal interest to be free from the intrusion is met. And if the government interest is greater than that person's need to be free from the intrusion, then it is typically seen as a justified uh, stop, okay, or a justified seizure. That having been said, the Harith Augustus, under the case of the fruit of the poisonous tree, if the reason for the stop is not justified, then the subsequent actions or evidence found after the unlawful stop must then be struck from the case and dismissed, or at least not the case being dismissed, but at least must be struck from the case and not considered as evidence in the case. And in some, if not most, if not all of these cases, once the evidence, the major evidence is struck because of a violation of the Fourth Amendment to the United States Constitution, the whole case is subsequently thrown out. But because of Mr. Harith Augustus's non-compliance and his decision to run out of fear from the police, the Harith Augustus case will never go before the courts for there to be an analysis at even the trial court level, the appellate court level, the state Supreme Court level, or the United States Supreme Court level. There will never be an assessment of this case because Mr. Augustus did not comply and chose to resist and run from the police officer. Once he chose to run from those police officers and he chose to make the furtive movement that caused him to reach for his gun, that caused him to be subsequently shot by the police, even if the shooting is considered to be justified, right? Let's just say Mr. Augustus did comply. Let's just say he was arrested and he got a good lawyer. Now, the incident that took place can be brought before the courts so that the court can analyze whether or not the stop was justified under Terry, whether or not the argument of is a bulge in and of itself without any other information from the police is a bulge in and of itself enough to meet the requirements of minimal requirements of 
police officers and the minimal justifications for stops. You've got consensual encounters. You've got reasonable suspicion under Terry versus Ohio. And then you've got probable cause. Many cases discuss probable cause, but probable cause is typically defined as facts and circumstances known to the officer at the time of an arrest. Let's talk about these facts. One, you saw a bulge. Okay, what other facts did you have? You didn't have any other facts. The police in their uh, press conference didn't state any other facts, right? And so since you don't have any other facts, that in and of itself does not meet the requirements of Terry versus Ohio. But compliance with the law, compliance, nonviolent compliance with the law is how we are able to achieve a certain level of justice because you now are able to bring the case before the ones who have way more education than the police, your lawyers, your judges, right? Those who have bachelor's degrees, law degrees, many years of practice, not stating that the justice system is always right, but at least you bring it before the courts where there is a possibility for the outcome of justice that will move us forward as a society. And especially those who have been historically disenfranchised by by not only society or certain elements of it, but by certain elements of the justice system at certain times within our nation's history and the history of the disenfranchised in America. That having been said, hopefully you've been able to follow this podcast because it was a lot of the information I threw out to you. Compliance is needed for justice. The case of Harith Augustus is definitely a case where had he been alive, had he not resisted, had he been alive, It would have gone before the courts and there's a high likelihood that a good attorney with this kind of knowledge or even greater knowledge than I've laid out here in this podcast would have been able to outline that this case was an example of the violation of the Fourth Amendment and that a bulge in and of itself in a concealed carry state does not in and of itself meet the requirements of Terry versus Ohio. Therefore, under Fruit of the Poisonous Tree, since the stop is justified, The evidence that you found is subsequently stricken and without any other evidence, the case is dismissed. That is how we attain justice. All right. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Like I said, please go to um, Mike Brown on Facebook, Instructor Mike on YouTube and Facebook, Security Training Concepts, 79th and Normal. If you like this podcast, share it, get a friend to listen. That is how we attain justice through compliance. And people who don't understand the criminal justice system don't understand the manner in which justice is achieved. It is not enough to just be angry. Anger without knowledge does you no good, but being calm with that knowledge and understanding how to play chess in in terms of when to strike and how to strike is also better. Thank you. You all have a great day. Be safe. I love you. Stay tuned for another episode of On the Mic with Mike.